Uh, our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis. We're in chapter 8, and our verses are 20 through 22. Genesis 8, verses 20 through 22. <clears throat> then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Father, please help us not to be too sleepy or too hungry or too distracted to receive your word in its full power this morning. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that you would uh, give us even just the practical necessity of the mental energy to study your word together, to receive it, Give us soft hearts to be molded by it. Let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So pretend that you are Noah. You've been on this boat for roughly a year. You and your family alone have been spared in this worldwide comprehensive annihilation of all living things and at last you step off of the boat onto the ground what's the first thing you do what's the first thing you would do think about it for a minute would you kiss the ground did I hear somebody say that that was actually one of the examples I had in my mind Would you just sort of feel it with your hands or remember what this feels like? Would you organize your family to explore and see just what's left? What is this like now? Would you get out a clipboard, start inventorying your supplies? Would you start breaking down the ark to build a shelter before nightfall? What we have here, the historical record of what Noah did first. In verse 20, we learn that the first thing Noah did was worship. At least it's his first recorded act. was worship. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now this is the first mention of an altar. Now in the Cain and Abel story, there was sacrifices and offerings, but the altars not mentioned. So this is the first mention in the Bible of an altar. It was probably just a simple, uh, maybe even just sort of a pile of stones put together to create sort of a rough table or a pedestal for him to perform these burnt offerings on. This is before all the detailed instructions that God would give his people later, especially in the book of Leviticus, about how to do offerings and what exactly they meant and how he was going to receive them. So before all that, 
And he uses these clean animals. If you remember back in chapter 7, he brought extra clean animals with him. Now we know why. He was going to use them for worship. And we don't know what's going on in Noah's mind here and in his heart. So, you know, it's Thanksgiving week. Perhaps this was a Thanksgiving offering. He had a lot to be thankful for. And his family had been spared. And God had taken care of them for, for this time on the ark. And now he was back on dry ground. He had a lot to be thankful for. So maybe this was an offering of Thanksgiving. Now, burnt offerings later in God's revelation, we'll see, mean really two things, dedication and forgiveness. Burning up the entire offering was a way of saying to the Lord, I in my entirety am devoted to you and dedicated to you. And also the sacrifice of this creature was a way for God's people to atone for their sins or to be forgiven and cleansed for their sins. So it's possible that that's what was in Noah's heart. It's possible that he wanted to communicate to God, I am fully and totally dedicating myself, my family to you after this awesome, amazing thing that you have done. Maybe he was expressing, I know that I'm sinful and I need to be forgiven. Imagine being on a boat with your family and in-laws for roughly a year, just you and a bunch of animals. Do you think that your sin nature may have at times over the course of that year shown itself? So here's Noah. He knows that God, because of the corruption, because of the sin of humanity, wiped everybody out except for, by his grace, Noah and his family. And now they step out on the dry ground, and Noah knows he's not perfect. I'm certain, it doesn't tell us this in the Bible, but I'm certain that there was sin on the ark because there were people on the ark. So perhaps this is him saying, okay, I just saw what you did because of human sin. I just want to acknowledge the elephant in the room. I too am sinful. Please don't wipe us out with the flood. Maybe that's what was behind it. We don't know. We don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us what's going on psychologically with Noah. It does, however, tell us what's going on with the Lord. It tells us what he's thinking, what he's feeling. Because remember, the Bible is not about Noah. It's about the Lord. This story is not about Noah. It's about the Lord. So let's see what we learn about the Lord as we move into verse 21. What you're going to see is that he was pleased. The Lord was pleased. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So Noah offers a burnt offering. It's an animal set on fire. So there's smoke. It's it's the smell like you're at a barbecue almost probably. And it says in verse 21, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Now, the Lord doesn't have a nose like you have a nose on your face. And he's not smelling this in literal human terms. This is an idiom. It's a figure of speech to convey the fact that the Lord was pleased with this. Now, some of the other idols people have worshipped throughout history do need our food and do smell our food and it smells good to them. And they are basically like humans, but not the one true God. He doesn't need our food. So his stomach wasn't growling when he smelled this. He was pleased. I was trying to think of how to get my own mind around 
what this means, that the Lord smelled this pleasing aroma, and he accepted it, and he was pleased with it. Now, I was remembering back, I've been in a lot of people's homes in my life. I've been in a lot of people's homes as a pastor, but before that, I was in people's homes as a mattress salesman. Yes, your pastor was a mattress salesman at one point in his life. And every once in a while, it wasn't my main job, but every once in a while, I would have to go out on deliveries. Now, I remember one delivery in particular, and it was the kind of house you, you stand on the outside and you know you don't want to go in. If, it, if I wasn't going to get fired for not going in, I would not go in. It was that kind of house. It was the kind of house where the smell greets you before the resident greets you, before you step up onto the porch. So I want you to bring to mind, you've probably been in places like this. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. There's a variety of reasons why a house could be like this, and I'm not saying anything negative about the residents of the house. Sometimes it's like this due to illness or something like that. People aren't able to take care of themselves in their homes like they'd like to. Um, But picture a house like that. Picture a house full of people, full of animals, and just full of of squalor. It's a house that hasn't been taken care of ever never been cleaned, and you enter the house, and the smell enters your nose. It's the smell of inches of dust. It's the smell of trash bags heaped in a corner with rotting food. It's the smell of unwashed dishes under couches, under beds with rotting food. It's the smell of animals who have not been cleaned or picked up after for years. It's the smell of stale, old, dried urine. It's the smell of body odor, of unwashed people. It's the smell of piles of fetid, dirty laundry in hampers, in closets, under beds, in bags. It's the smell of mildew. It's the smell of mold. Now, imagine that's a rental property and the landlord gets wind of the situation kicks those tenants out, comes in, opens up the windows, rips up the carpet, rips out the the panels of the walls, rips out the cabinets, the sinks, everything down to the studs, brings in people in hazmat crews to deal with mold and mildew, is completely refreshed, rebuilt, a brand new home. The landlord moves in, first night there, after the landlord had walked in and smelled the situation, now it's his first night there, his wife is fixing dinner in the kitchen. And he can contrast in his mind the smell when he first entered there, that horrible, fetid smell of decay and rot with this newly cleansed smell in this newly refreshed, renovated home. Okay, that's maybe something like what we have here. God had just completely completely stripped down to nothing, the earth, because it was so filled and infested with human corruption and sin. You remember, he looked at it a couple chapters back and said, I, I'm so grieved to the heart over what this is. I'm disgusted, and I've got to clean it up. And so worldwide flood washed it all away. And now from that situation to this, Noah's worship. One man who we know to have been righteous and blameless and walking with the Lord, we've seen his obedience lived out, worshiping him. And it pleased him. It pleased the Lord. 
corruption, human corruption, human sin, human wickedness, human evil, displeases the Lord. It grieves him. But worship, genuine worship from an obedient heart, pleases him. And so we read here a beautiful resolution to what we had read back in chapter 6. And I'll just read it to you, chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. This is what began the flood. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then now, after the flood, Noah exits the ark, worships the Lord. Verse 21, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So he saw the wickedness and he resolved to destroy. And here he smells the worship and he resolves to protect and to preserve. He says, I will never again curse the ground because of man. And then a little later, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So the Genesis 3 curse is still in effect. Okay, the ground still fights back with thorns and thistles. It's still not perfect. But he's not going to destroy the entire world in one fell swoop again like that. No additional curse on the ground. Not going to strike down all the living creatures again like that. In other words, Noah and his family didn't have to worry every time clouds formed in the sky. Oh man, he's going to do it again and this time it's us. They didn't have to worry that God was going to flood it again. Even though Noah surely knew that he was sinful and his family was sinful. By the way, that means we don't have to worry about that either. We don't have to worry that global warming is going to cause a comprehensive catastrophe in which human life can't be supported on this earth anymore. doesn't mean we need to be stupid, and it's still, we still need to be good stewards of God's earth, but we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry that there's going to be a nuclear Armageddon, that one nation's going to start lobbing nuclear missiles, another's going to start, and eventually the whole earth's going to be uninhabitable. We don't have to worry about that. Now, it doesn't mean there might not be a nuclear weapon deployed at some point. It doesn't mean there won't still be natural disasters. It doesn't mean there won't still be great heartache and trouble. But there's not going to be another comprehensive destruction of all living things on the earth. At least not for a while. We have this beautiful promise of verse 22, but it starts off a little bit cryptic. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Now, it's a beautiful, it's almost poetry, but it does begin with while the earth remains. Now, if you know the rest of your scripture, you might know what that could be pointing to. If you wanted to read Second Peter chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 21, You'll remember that one day we are promised that the heavens and the earth will pass away with a roar, be burned up and dissolved, will be no more. 
And God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. But until that day, which is fixed, which God's planning on, which God knows about, until that day, we don't have to worry that something's going to happen that's going to make human life uninhabitable. Nothing out of God's control is going to happen. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The rhythms of life will continue. Okay, where it's daytime right now, it'll be nighttime tonight. It's fall right now, it'll be winter soon, and then spring again, and then into summer. And with each transition of this cycle that God upholds by the word of his power, we can be thankful, and we can know that it's this way because God's holding it together. Sure, there's scientific principles that he has put in place to make it happen, but he's behind it. He's upholding us, even right now. Now, you may have noticed that I skipped over a phrase in verse 21. If you're following along, which I hope you do, make sure I'm not teaching you something unbiblical. I skipped a phrase in verse 21, and it's a weird phrase, and we need to look at it. Verse 21, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. And then here's the weird phrase. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I've done. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. The flood didn't end man's sinful nature. It's like God rebooted the computer, but the virus is still there. You'll see it persisting very soon in Noah and his very own family. And then Abraham, God's chosen man, sin, present. Israel, God's chosen people, sin, still present. And when you look in the mirror in your own life, sin, still present. And it's present in our hearts. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. It's as though God is, he's wiped the earth clean, but he's saying, you know, the real problem isn't on the surface of the earth, it's, it's in your hearts. That, that horrific image of that rotting house that I described earlier, that's how the Bible describes the human heart. And it's that way from our youth. We're born with this disease. And what's really strange about it is that first word of the phrase, for. Now, if you have an NIV Bible in front of you, it might translate it, even though, so that it would read, I'm never going to curse the ground again, even though the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, I'm no expert in Hebrew by any stretch of the imagination, but it seems like the more disciplined translations all say, translate it, for. And the idea doesn't seem to be, even though, Man is sinful, I'm not going to curse the ground. It seems to be, because man is sinful, I'm not going to curse the ground. It seems like what God is saying is, I'm not going to do this all the time because of the sin of man's heart. If I was going to respond to the sin in man's heart with a worldwide flood every time, it would just be an unending, constant flood. Flood, drain, flood, drain, flood, drain. And I'm not going to do that. This was a one-time event. Instead, I'm going to make a way for sins to be washed clean. Instead of renovating the whole earth, I'm going to renovate individual hearts. I'm going to make a way for this to happen. Have you ever wondered why, when you read the Old Testament, there's so much about altars and sacrifices and offerings, but we don't do that, and we're God's people. Why don't we still offer burnt offerings? 
why don't house plans here in the Bible Belt include an altar? Why don't you have altars in your backyards like people have fire pits? Why don't we have an, an altar like this here, like an, an actual functioning altar where we burn animals? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 is a succinct way of putting it, but if you really want to get at it, you should read Hebrews. But I'm going to read Ephesians 5, verse 2. It says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We know from standing in the new covenant looking back that all this was pointing ahead to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate pleasing aroma to God the Father. Jesus is the ultimate offering, the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf is what enables that heart renovation to take place. If you read through other passages, I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to hit some bullet points here. We learn in the New Testament that Jesus willingly emptied and humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was perfect. He was innocent and unstained by corruption and evil and unrighteousness. He had no need to clean up himself from his own sin. Instead, he was free to offer his life, his blood, himself as the once and for all offering, the once and for all sacrifice for everybody who would receive it. That sacrifice cleans up those people. It perfects for all time those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are the recipients and the beneficiaries of his willing self-sacrifice, his self-offering. And this is the note we'll land on. This passage really is just a a beginning of a larger section that we're going to read next week in chapter 9. But we'll land here this morning. You, just like Noah, just like his family, just like me, you are imperfect. You have sin. From your youth, the intentions of your hearts were evil, just like mine. That's what the Bible tells us about human nature in this fallen world. But through Jesus Christ, if if your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and your allegiance is is there, if you're in Christ, you are a completely renovated and new person in God's eyes. Now, the whole rest of your Christian life, you're growing into that reality. But when God looks at you in Jesus Christ, he smells that pleasing aroma of Jesus' death on your behalf. And so when God looks at you, he's pleased. And you may sometimes wonder if he's pleased because you fall so short from the perfection that he requires. But when you wonder if God is pleased with you, don't look at yourself. Look at Jesus Christ. When God sees you, he smells the pleasing aroma of Jesus Christ. And he's pleased with you. And we're going to land on that note. That's enough for this morning. There's so much more I could talk about. In fact, I've marked out a bunch of it. Because this language of offering and sacrifice continues on in the New Testament, but it takes on a whole new light. But I'm not going to get into that right now. Just leave you with that. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and allow him to clean you up, renovate your heart, 
Receive that forgiveness, that cleansing. And then once you're there, once you're in there, rest assured that God is pleased with you. He's pleased with you because of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for your people and for myself that you would help us to fully receive and live in light of the heart restoration, the heart cleansing, the heart level forgiveness you have made possible for us through Jesus Christ. Let us live in light of the fact that when you look at us, you smell Jesus' burnt offering to you and you are pleased. Let us rejoice in these things. Let us be at peace because of these things. Let us joyfully walk closely with you because of these things. Let us approach you boldly because of these things. Let us band together in true fellowship because we share this reality together. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.